This is an AMI podcast. Hey there, this is Kelly McDonald, co-host of Kelly and Company on AMI-audio. On our show, we talk about the events and happenings that are relevant to the blind and partially sighted community across Canada. With the help of our regional contributors, we'll keep you up to date on what's happening in your community so you don't miss out. So give Kelly and Company a try and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Over the past nine months, I've been home during the pandemic, and I've probably read far more than previous years. I've read some incredible books, published recently, and returned to some much-loved favorites. I've also embraced books of a more practical nature, the odd self-help book and cookbooks. It's been interesting to see how quickly authors and publishers have adapted to the pandemic with virtual book tours and readings. The one lamentable fact, which is unavoidable, is the closure of many public libraries across the country. Though physical libraries are closed, their online collections are still available to the public. Today, we discuss some notable books of 2020. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. It's towards the end of the year for us. And so one of the things I like to do is a little bit of a roundup show. If you listen to the program last December, A, we had more shows, but also, you know, we're doing half as many shows now because I'm hosting and producing. But the one roundup show I just could not bear to part with was our book chat with my good friend, Paul Daniel, because Paul and I go way back. So it's always nice to have Paul on the program. Paul is an exceptionally well-read person. Um, when he was on the show last year, if you remember that conversation, Paul said he'd read over 100 books. And I am honest to goodness, curious about whether the pandemic means he's doubled, maybe tripled. So without further ado, Paul Daniel, welcome back to The Pulse. It's so nice to have you. Good to be, well, virtually here, virtually there. Good to be talking to you again, uh, Juwita. It's very really good to have you. Now, let's just get the the controversy out of the way, because there is something of a debate about this in the office. Uh, okay. I think that because of the pandemic, you've probably read far more than 100 books. That's my contention. Some people who shall remain unnamed, such as Andy Frank, our manager, uh, believes that you probably watched a lot more television and read fewer books. So who who has it right? I'm afraid Andy has uh, has is correct, but, but not entirely <laughs> because of TV. It's because, you know, you know I think for all of us, we're combining when you go to work, when you go to a workplace you can uh, and you can just focus on work when you're at home you focus on mostly um, you know your duties here at home you know taking you know taking care of the house and the family and making meals and all that kind of thing here you're combining everything you're combining work and home and one I'm so I'm reading less right now I'm on book 66 right now that's now, still quite something the, is it? Well, thank you. But only because, <laughs> only, thank you. Thank you, You're always good for my ego. I appreciate that. Good for my confidence. I cannot go on rest of 2021 with confidence. No, no. It's only because, uh, as I mentioned last year, in, when I went to work, I had a two-hour ride in the morning and two-hour ride at night, public transit, and so I had a lot of time to either a sleep or b read. Usually, mm-hmm. I read more. So I had more time to fill up. So, but now that I have that, that two hour, uh, four hours of transit time has been lost. Is now from working home. I just I read more, but I'm also is enjoying this thing called Netflix. It's a wonderful little thing, you know. I'm <laughs> impressed by it, and also doing more work at home. So there you go. 
I find for myself, though, that reading this year has really given me a bit of an escape. Um, not that books aren't enjoyable to read in and off of themselves, but um, I live with my husband in a small condo. We don't actually have a balcony even. And so mm. reading has really allowed me um, a way out without actually getting out. I don't know if that's been your experience as well. It, you know, it, it was because uh, the, uh, the pandemic was because the news, I mean, I think during the pandemic, uh, the first wave, it was just so the news was, was, was never ending. And it was also very bad news. And the books gave me something to just, if not forget, just to, to think about something else. Cause it was something, mm-hmm. cause it, it, it was hard to find hope. Even though, I, to the credit of many Canadians, we were able to flatten the curve that in the first wave, but it was still, uh, you know, I still, you, you needed some uh, distraction, something else to keep your mind off it, without getting too consumed with all the bad news that was happening. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of distractions, I know you've got a number of books to recommend. And unlike last year, uh, because I've been reading a bunch, I've got a, a couple of books to recommend in there as well. But you get to go first. Yes. I think let's start with talking about fiction and some of the books that you read this year that would fall into that category. Sure. Two books I, I came across. One is uh, Indians on Vacation, published this year by Tom King. He is a writer of Cherokee and Greek ancestry. His previous books are Truth and Bridge, Brightwater, more, the more, perhaps the more widely known, The Inconvenient Indian, mm-hmm. Running Water, and The Back of the Turtle. This is, but Indians on Vacation is a lovely novel. It's funny. It's enjoyable where one couple, Bird and Mimi, the names alone are just perfect, do a holiday trip to Europe. So while wandering through the famous capitals, they find out a, a political and personal history of themselves. And the, the author himself is basing the travels, not the complex or anything, but the travels that go to these places, um, European cities like Prague, Budapest, and Amsterdam on their own personal travels. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely book. It's charming. It's got, it's got grace to it. And there's also a nice degree of uh, gravitas as well without being overbearing. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a good book to read, especially just, you know, when so many issues on, on indigenous issues are very heavy mm-hmm. and all. Here's Tom King trying to offer you a slightly lighter uh, approach, but we're, we're trying to make a point, but without being so uh, perhaps heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. And this book was on the uh, Writers Trust uh, Fiction Prize shortlist, also on the Scotiabank Guild Prize long list. That's uh, it. Sounds like a really good read. Um, let me chime in with one of my fiction sure. books as well. I've only got the one. Um, clearly, I'm not a fiction reader, but actually, I am. I just haven't read a lot this year. Um, mm-hmm. So the book that I read just as we got in, uh, just as the lockdown hit. In the first couple of weeks during the pandemic, one of the first books I read, and you can see this is just me trying to escape, 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 was Vivek Shreya's uh, book, Subtweet. Um, mm. So now, Paul, I don't know about you, but I went into reading this book and not knowing what a subtweet was. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not I'm, up on my social media lingo. Okay. But the book is a fascinating read. Uh, because it explores the relationship between a couple of women of color artists in Toronto and how one of them being a good self-promoter achieves YouTube fame. I mean, come on, we all secretly want to be YouTube stars. Uh, um, And so (laughs) it gets into this. (laughs) You're making a big assumption there, Julie. I really think considering considering that YouTube is right now, I don't know, but go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, But the book is a really interesting exploration um, and it resonated with me because it looks at shadism uh, Mm. within the South Asian community. And um, the pivotal moment in the book, I, 
shouldn't be giving this away, but the pivotal moment of the book really gets into this idea about how your ability as a brown person to assimilate or to pass as white can confer all manner of career advantages to you. And I think about this a lot. You know, I'm a person of color and and I think I'm actually quite fair by Indian standards. So it was a book that really made me think, uh, but it also um, informed me as to what a subtweet was. So I now feel I am a cool person and I'm in the know. <laughs> uh, it was a really good book. And I kind of feel like it got lost a little bit in the shuffle. Um, I know Vivek Shreya's previous book, I'm Afraid of Men, got a lot of traction. And this one really didn't get as much of a reaction. But it was such a thought-provoking read. And very early into the pandemic, that was one of the books that helped me get away from it all. Tell us a little bit about your second pick for fiction. Okay, for fiction. Let's see. My second pick is Utopia Avenue by David Mitchell. This book is also available, I should mention, at SELA, at, uh, at uh, mm-hmm. as, as is uh, Indians on Vacation. Uh, mm-hmm. Utopia Avenue is a novel by David Mitchell about the most extraordinary British band you've never heard of called oh. Utopia Avenue. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, The whole scene is set in London's psychedelic uh, scene in 1967 and goes up to the uh, to a certain night in autumn of 68. And this band is going to all the things, top of the pops in the British and the top 10, all the places, you know, Amsterdam, Rome, and, and the, an American tour, all the things that you would think of, uh, of uh, being a rock band in the 1960s, the late 1960s. It's, it's entertaining. Uh, and a few serious moments here and there, but it's, it's, it's just very entertaining. Take you back to a moment uh, that once was, and uh, for better or for worse, that had its... Um, had high points here and there, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's an entertaining read. I really did enjoy. I really did enjoy that. I'm a '60s person. I like the music of the '60s, <laughs> and I, I really and I and I and I can really get into it. I mean, I was too young to enjoy it at, at the time. Now you know how old mm-hmm. I am. I have an idea. Don't say anything more. Uh, uh, but the but the uh, the book is entertaining. It's really it's really it it, it takes it, he really paints a picture of that scene. And I think when writers can create put you there in that in that moment that they're trying to tell you about. Even I mean, 50 odd years ago, 100 years ago, that's a, a a good writer, and that's a and that's really that kind of thing really sticks with you. People remember those kind of things, and you get a you remember the feeling you had when reading about it. And mm-hmm. Utopia Avenue is that book. Utopia Avenue kind of makes me think about the Beatles, to be honest with you. Didn't you have a it book about be. the Beatles on your on your list as well? Paul? We do have one. We do have one. Yes, it's in our, it's in our it's in our uh, in our biography section. Yes. Mm-hmm. So shall we talk a little bit about that book and move on to our, uh, our biography section? I've got a couple in there as well. Uh, okay. So tell us a little bit about the Beatles book because you know okay. now that we're all talking, now that we're getting a musical. <laughs> okay, sure. Let's, let's, let's stick with that. Sure. This book is called 150 Glimpses of the Beatles, also available at Sela, mm-hmm. and this is literally 150 different stories about the Beatles at different stages in their career, uh, everything from. Uh, John Lennon's father, Alf Lennon, who took off uh, when, he was, when he was about seven years old and came back when he was about uh, 24 and, uh, into his life and caused a controversy. Everything from the first time Cassius Clay, later known as Muhammad Ali, meets the Beatles. None of the four wanted to do it. None of the four Beatles wanted to be with Clay. And even this is right before he fought Sonny Liston in 1964. And even Clay didn't even know at the time who they were. So after spending some time with him, he says, hey, you know, you guys aren't as dumb as you look. Which Dylan replied, but you are. <laughs> so, and there that's that's the silliest story. One story that um, that's very poignant is that the same man who delivered mail to Paul McCartney in 1964, six years before, was a police officer, was behind the wheel of a car that ran over and killed John Lennon's mother. The same person. The same person. Oh. 
right? You go figure, think of that. And even this one story, the woman who cut Ringo's hair at, a, at, a British, at the British Embassy in Washington in 1964 was a Canadian citizen living in Oshawa. Beverly Markowitz, she still has that clump of hair in her, in her scrapbook. <laughs> I would keep it too. <laughs> <laughs> she still has it. There's a Canadian who did it. She, she cut it she, and she still has it in the scrapbook. She told us she confessed who she was in, to the Oshawa Times in 2004, I believe. So mm-hmm. go figure. One of the things about the Beatles, um, I've taken mm-hmm. a sort of a, a, I've sort of re-engaged with the Beatles because um, I have an ever-expanding vinyl collection. I talked about this on Kelly and Company, so it's not a secret. But I have this ever-expanding <laughs> vinyl collection. I've been accumulating all the Beatles albums over, right. over the years. You know, the Abbey Road and Sgt. Pepper and what have you. And I'm curious about whether these stories are meant to be quirky and anecdotal. Uh, in nature, or if what they're really doing is providing a glimpse into that cultural moment, the zeitgeist, which is it, Paul? I think it's a, the, to the moment, because the, the, especially in this book here, the 1500 glimpses, it tells you the personal stories of each of the four and their families. It gives you a real side of these guys, the good and the bad. These guys were not perfect by any means. They weren't saints. You know, John Lennon didn't become Martin Luther Lennon four uh, years uh, after his death. No, he, he was he's a regular guy who had mm-hmm. good points and his foibles, as, as, did, the other, as did the other members. Uh, you know, there's a whole chapter there about John Lennon's uh, aunt, Aunt Mimi, who was, had a real attitude. She could look down, it could be very tough on John, apparently, and <laughs> even, you know, it could be and tough on, on the other three who looked down on the other three members, saying that they were beneath her, they were beneath her in, in terms of oh. class. Very much so. So, yeah, I think it's it's it tells you about the time and how they came to be who mm-hmm. they were. I really appreciate the fact that, that the book makes them out to be just ordinary people because when you really stop to think about it, the Beatles are bigger than yeah. the individuals. Their legacy Absolutely. transcends, like you know, time and space. I mean, that's why that movie. Um, about life without the Beatles was such yesterday. a, a, a an, yesterday, thank you, uh, was such an incredible thought experiment because their legacy is huge, but we sometimes lose track of the fact that um, they, they were regular people with interesting, quirky yeah. lives, flaws, and shortcomings. My name is Joyetha Gupta, and my guest today is my good friend and comrade in arms, Paul Daniel, who is a producer uh, for AMI-audio and AMI-TV big personality on now with Dave Brown. Paul Daniel is an avid reader. You've read some 60 plus books during the pandemic and you read over a hundred last year. That's quite something. I still, I still think that's remarkable. Uh, tell us a little more about some of the, the biographies. We just sort of dipped our toe in the waters there. So give sure. us a sense of some of the other biographies you wanted to talk about today. First of all, can I say thank you very much for being, being called a comrade. I've always wanted to be part of a revolution. So thank you very much. I feel very active now. Thank you. Uh, here's one. This one is called we are, this is from 2019, actually, but this is mm-hmm. Know My Name by Chanel Miller. She was a memoir by, by Miller who writes about being sexually assaulted in January 2015, as well as the aftermath and subsequent court case. Mm-hmm. That she goes, she speaks entirely about how it happened. And I won't go into the details, other than that the man who caused the assault was captured on site. Two for, uh, during a uni- she was in university, and two foreign exchange students happened to find this, was, 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 grab this guy as, as he was trying to get away. And the, the, the whole story is each time, even though she was made out to be almost like saying you asked for it, that somehow <laughs> you, you were less than a perfect person. Victims are always seen as perfect victims and uh, beyond any kind of flaws that, yeah. uh, that, you don't, that they're not that any kind of person other than perfect deserves somehow isn't isn't deserving of sympathy that a crime victim is, is, is supposed to be uh, the perfect victim. 
and she and she wasn't. She had, you know, she 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 indulged in having a few drinks that night, but it's not like she engaged and allowed this man to do what he did. Mm-hmm. And also how people felt sorry for the accuser. He had a great 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 future ahead of him apparently in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And people and, and it just it just shows how the media and the court system that she was made to feel. That she was she wasn't treated perhaps I mean as anybody should be treated uh, going through such a horrific experience. Yeah, I mean with with sexual assault in particular, we know that women have a very rough go of it. Um, there's a lot of victim blaming. You know, you, your dress was too short. You had too many drinks. You right. You exactly. you were ambiguous. I wonder, Paul, how you feel about this book, it, given that we live in a post Me Too world. Do you think the book is going to sort of illuminate? Um, how much things have changed, or is it a case of the more things change, the more they stay the same? Well, first of all, I want to make sure that everyone knows the book is available at Sila as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know what? There is that danger of the more things change, the more things stay the same. I think, I think that the legal system is like anything else. It's a, it's a grand monolith. You can't change something so easily. Mm-hmm. It is difficult. And change does not come as quick as, as, it, as we would like it to be. Change always comes slow. All you have to do is look at the disability rights movement, uh, the people, uh, the civil rights movement, women's rights movement. Nothing comes quickly. You you might get a quick win here and there, a quick victory, but the change of attitudes has to is, is a long-term process. It, you know, do I think it gets, can get better? It can always get better, mm-hmm. but as long so long as uh, there are you know, so long as people are are getting in the way of uh, of change. These kind of books, like the one by Ms. Miller, is useful and necessary. Yeah, I made I made it a point to read it because I really want to read about this one. This is something that cause you don't hear it very often. All we, and we we don't hear the complexity, and the media has a role in this too. The media paints how they paint the victim, the victim, and the accuser. It's incredible how they do it in certain in certain communities in certain situations. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And, you know, I liked your point about the disability rights movements. A couple of the biographies I read, and I read them, and then I liked them so much. I, I At the time, Andrika was the producer. I said, Andrika, you got to get them on the show, uh, because that's what you do. Uh, uh, well, the first one was Being Human by Judy Human, who really talked about the history of the disability rights movement in the United States, culminating mm-hmm. with the 504 sit-in uh, protests, um, um, yeah. and then the eventual Americans with Disabilities Act. I really appreciate people who are go-getters, you know, in, in my in my life. And so I appreciated someone who had made it her life's work to fight for disability rights. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but you know, that is available as a podcast. The other book that I regret not having really had a chance to talk to the author about, but a little bit of a sneak preview, um, Krista Couture's book, How to Lose Everything is a study yeah. in grief and hope. It's actually really well written, uh, kind of dropped the ball there in terms of booking her as a guest in October. But here's the sneak preview. Uh, she's mm-hmm. actually narrating an audiobook version of how to lose oh. everything. And so oh, okay. my plan is for anyone who listens to the pulse on a weekly basis, my plan is to bring Krista on at that stage and you know and have a chat about the audiobook. So that is coming soon. Tell us a little more about the biography sections. You got some really cool ones in there, Paul. Yeah, this one here, let's see here. We got this one this one here I, I really I really enjoyed. Uh, again, it was a different different kind of uh, fall on disability uh fall on long disability one was what my cheer, wheelchair taught me. This was an independently mm. published book by Lisa Jones. Now I have to admit, I met Lisa Jones some years ago. I knew her when she was uh, in some years ago in the uh, 80s and 90s. So I, I hadn't spoken to her for a while, but I knew her. So I knew of her. I met her mm-hmm. a few times. And I read. And I came across this book. And I just can't be the same person. I noticed. 
the same person. This uh, Lisa was born with a, a disability that require where she requires the use of a wheelchair for mobility, uh, and she her experiences were very much similar to the ones I had to go through when I went to. She went to the same certain institutions and places that I had to go to when I when I was uh, younger. Mm-hmm. But she also realized how um, she could. How to how to navigate the you know the bureaucracy of uh, getting a, of getting a wheelchair of getting applying for government jobs of doing being consultant helping clients navigate complex service systems to meet mm-hmm. their own goals. I mean, she also you know, in in the of uh, the joy she saw not just in her own personal success but in the success of other people being uh, moving forward, being successful mm-hmm. in their careers, and that sometimes overcoming a challenge. And let's face it, the disability isn't the challenge. The challenge, as we both know. Is not mm-hmm. in disability, but is it, it is in the barriers, mm-hmm. attitudinal, physical, and societal barriers that we face, that many people with disabilities face. And over, when you overcome those kind of challenges, that's a great feeling. It I is, mean, yeah. she and she and she even if it's being able to get on a bus, and that sounds silly for a lot of people, but you try getting on a bus when you, when you could when a bus wasn't made available for you. It's a it's mm-hmm. a great feeling to have when you have an equal parallel service, or that you can have a, a bus can can kneel now and allow you to get on it and use it. It's a it's a great it's a wonderful feeling and it's those it's those it's those battles on a daily basis those daily challenges we face and I call them battles but they're challenges we face it makes it it makes it so much more worthwhile and it makes it also builds I think character in people adversity is not a bad thing no not at all you know I you were talking and I was nodding and I realized duh it's radio no one can see you nodding but I was I completely <laughs> agree with you uh, we've only got a few minutes left and I regret yeah. that we don't have a lot of time to go over the list of uh, some of the books related to uh, U.S. politics you had a bunch of them on your list I will put everything up on the blog so that anyone who's interested in your picks and my picks as well can go and check out some of those books um, on the blog ami.ca but it's been a really interesting year in terms of books dealing with um, um, the U.S. administration. Just give us a quick snapshot. Let's see. I got a couple of choices here. It was all a lie. How the Republican Party became Donald Trump by Stuart Stevens. He was a high-profile strategist for the Romney for the Mitt Romney 2012 campaign, and he's been involved. He worked in two Bush administrations, and he points out basically the, the party uh, basically had been focusing on for the past 50, 60 odd years, uh, you know, race, trying to make sure people don't vote, making harder for people to vote. And playing this game of this game of hypocrisy of family values, well, and foregoing the commitment to fiscal responsibility, he thought uh, you, we can't. You know, the parties become Donald Trump, and you know, we, we get back to the values that, that what made the, part, the Republican Party, the Republican Party as we know it, in the age, age of Ronald Reagan, Eisenhower, even Richard Nixon. That's and a then, really course, good we, one. Yeah, and a book by, uh, of course, that we can't forget, and the one that, uh, of course, is Rage by Bob Woodward got a lot of attention. <laughs> Uh, but also one book that I found that really stood out for me was White Too Long, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity. Yes, this that looked the, intriguing. That was a great book. And it's just how they point out how they basically uh, guys like Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's uh, son, uh, you know, threatening Americans with, the, with their divine retribution if they didn't, if they criticized even Donald Trump and how they basically turned the other way when it came to the the pandemic. How they showed mm-hmm. an absolute disregard for the pandemic. How they would, would curse Joe Biden or any uh, candidate for being pro-choice, but have no problem supporting someone like President Trump. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a good book, and it's also been a legacy how they managed to, uh, you know, they didn't speak up during the civil rights movement very much. They were very quiet about that, and some even opposed it. So he's speaking about the the challenge that the, the evangelical white Christianity has to make, especially evangelical community has to make, and it's a, it's a good question. It's a hard, it's a tough book. But it's an honest book, I think. 
I said as a, I said as a practicing Catholic, so so few don't get the impression that I'm uh, bashing religion. Right. Uh, just in the minute or so we've got left, one last controversial question: In the year yeah. of the pandemic, is there a book you will not touch with a ten foot pole? Uh, let's see. Ten foot pole. Uh, probably uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Fifty Shades of Grey. I just don't need that right now. I just you know, I got real things to worry about. I mean. <laughs> well, I can't blame you there. Paul Daniel, thank you very much for being on the program. It's really flown by. I know we didn't get to all of your books. We didn't get to all of mine either. So I will flip that list onto the show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. And our avid readers can go and check it out there. Paul Daniel, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure, Joita. That was AMI producer Paul Daniel, who is a frequent contributor to many shows and an avid reader himself talking about some of the best books of 2020 and 2019, late 2019 as well. Do head on over to the blog. This is the one instance where I would encourage you to go and get the list right off the blog. And I want to wish all of you a happy holidays as well as a safe holidays. Um, it's one of the last shows we'll do this year. Um, not quite the last one, but we're getting up there. So I hope that all of you stay safe and look after yourself and get to spend some time with your families. It's not going to be a traditional holiday season, but at least you know, virtually maybe do some conference calls or just spend some time uh, with the people that we um, are near and dear to us. So thanks a lot for listening uh, to today's program. If you have suggestions of your own, you can always write to us at uh, AMI Audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. No, really, if you've got book suggestions, just shoot them to us and we will put them on the blog as well. I, I'm The more the merrier, in my opinion. The technical producer for The Pulse is Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. And I've been your host, Juwita Gupta. It's always fun talking to you about books and i hope you will tune in again for the pulse stay safe be well and have a wonderful rest of your day this was an ami podcast for more accessible media visit ami.ca Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.